I'm recording now, so we can say everything we want. Okay. For example... Uh, this is here now <laughs> a failed state. It's Friday, September the 7th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darach, Dutch News contributing editor and unrepentant self-publicist, and with me today are my fellow Dutch News contributor and furniture juggler, Molly Quell, and Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and castingel correspondent. Guys, it's so nice to be back from the summer. I've missed you so much. I haven't. <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> Don't lie. I almost fled to Armenia. I've, yeah, did you? No, yeah, I almost did. I hear it's yeah. easy to get deported to that, <laughs> yeah, especially if you're a child yes. who's never lived there. Exactly. Yeah. But, but, but you fled to a new uh, part of Delft. Molly. I did. Yeah. I uh, We moved. We moved into a plus uh, house, so it's a goddamn disaster in my house, as always. Uh, and nothing is. So the house is upside down, and the kitchen is in the bathroom, and pretty much yeah. we the kitchen is mostly installed. If I hopefully this weekend we'll get around to oiling our wooden countertops, and then we can actually use it. Um, but that's basically the only thing that's like sorted out at this point uh the current problem is is that the living room is full of giant furniture that i cannot fit up my tiny tiny old house dutch stairs mm. uh so some friends are coming on saturday to hopefully hoist all this furniture over the balcony so i guess we'll see if anyone dies yeah. well good luck to them yep. yeah but that also means that we don't have a proper recording studio no, because we used to record in my closet, literally, which actually had better uh, sound, I think, quality acoustics than this the secret actual location. recording studio we're in, which is an undisclosed secret location because we're not really supposed to be here. So, <laughs> don't uh, mention it. Don't mention it. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, apologies uh, for the uh, for the bad sound quality. Yeah, the echo. I think. Yeah. yeah, it's quite echoing. Yeah. So, uh, Gordon, how was your uh, summer holiday? Uh, good. I, I went to Scotland for a couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, with the brought back some tasty nice crackers. Well, it's very nice. Uh, some nice shortbread yeah, for you, so delicious. you can see how it's made. Delicious crackers. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're lovely. <laughs> Finally, some proper <laughs> shortbread. Yeah. Uh, isn't it delicious? And it's halal. And you had a you had something happen this week, didn't you? Uh, this week, yeah. Um, uh, I had a, a small thing. Um, small thing. Yeah, uh, I had a book published. Oh. So, so, which we'll be hearing about. People will be hearing about next week. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we've done an interview together. Yes. I've it's very cozy you. and intimate. And so uh, these poor listeners have to listen to indeed. us talk. Yeah. So you hear all about excellent that sound quality. Yeah, but excellent sound quality because yes. that was recorded previously. Yeah. 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 So what is this book that you've written and where can our listeners buy it? So Should very they... briefly before everyone uh, gets bored, uh, it's, it, it, it's a memoir. It's I'm a book called... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah. It's a memoir. It's called All the Time We Thought We Had. And it's about the time when I moved to the Netherlands four years ago while my wife was dying of cancer. And... Um, yeah, the, and how I'm now raising my two children um, yeah, as a single father. Yeah. Sounds like an uplifting beach read. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Perfect. And uh, where can people find it? Uh, they can find it. Well, it's, it's on sale from yesterday on um, Amazon or Bol.com, although Bol won't have the stock in actually till next week. Um, or they can, you can come along to the launch at Parchman in uh, Scheveningen uh, on the 25th of September. Oh. You so desire. Uh, all the listeners are invited. Everyone's yes. invited. Edinburgh yes, please come along and bring some casting. Also. All three yeah. of us, all three of us, will be at this launch. So should you also want to like harass or yeah. otherwise uh, annoy the members of the Dutch News podcast, and probably some other people from Dutch News as well. I so. think maybe most of the Dutch News yeah. crew might be there. So yeah. we will, uh, we will be having a lovely, uh, lovely time on the twenty fifth. There's a hundred percent chance I will get too drunk. So if, any, <laughs> if anyone out there wants to see that, it's at the Parkman and Scavening. Or to join in on the twenty fifth of September. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Paul was. Uh, What's uh, the latest uh, casting on news? 
The latest cast angle news, the ophef of the week, is uh, involves a new talk show, uh, RTL Late Night, it's called, with Twan Huis, who used to be a very serious journalist. He, uh, he worked for Newsuur. Yeah, uh, but he, but he also interviewed Willem Holleder, so I'm not quite sure how much... Uh, he, also, he also interviewed Willem Holleder. And also uh, uh, um, uh, Stormy Daniels yesterday yeah. yes. in, in his show. Um, but... All Dutch talk shows have the same layout. There's a giant table where all the guests of the evening are sitting around and they are all talking about topics that they don't have any, uh, that, that they don't understand. Um, so it's like this podcast, it's but all, later it's like at night. Podcast, <laughs> but later Dutch. at night and on live television. But there's also one crucial element that every talk show has, and that is a bunch of cast angles in the middle of the table, which nobody eats. But in this new talk show, the cast angles were missing. So the ophef was that there are no casting or so how is this a talk show and it wasn't just the viewers that noticed this but also the serious uh, critics that write in the newspaper all mentioned independently from each other that there was, were no cast angles so in the next episode uh HL late night responded by filling the entire table <laughs> with an enormous amount of cast angles that's a, it, was, it was it was a good response it was yes props to them and what are cast angles how would we describe it cheese straws cheese straws, cheese straws. Yeah, yes. those, yes. those long elongated like cheesy bread those sort of some knobbly so yes yeah, sort of, uh, yeah that's at any sort of boral that you ever go to will have cast yeah. angles yes yeah. it's uh, it's unknown if uh, stormy daniels got a casting there were no cast angles on the table uh, during the interview no nope. that's night. really no. disappointing i mean yeah. she really missed out on a like a an important part, well, of, Dutch part of Dutch culture. Yes. Yeah. This week, MPs went back to work. Two children were facing deportation to Armenia despite mounting opposition. Foreign Affairs Minister Steph Block fought for his job, and one of the 20th century's most controversial authors made an unlikely comeback. In our discussion, we'll refresh your memory on the major stories and ophefs of a sweltering summer. Two children are due to be deported to Armenia this weekend, despite a high-profile campaign to allow them to stay. The Council of State ruled last month that 13-year-old Hoek and his 12-year-old sister Lily should go and live with our Armenian mother, who was sent home last year, even though they've never lived in the country, don't speak Armenian, and their mother has said she's unable to care for them. The court said Junior Justice Minister Mark Harbers was not obliged to give them residency permits because their lives were not in danger and there was adequate social security for them. The children were born in Russia and have lived in the Netherlands for the last 10 years. And who says that they should be allowed to stay? Uh, just about everybody. I mean, I mean demonstrations with hundreds of people, um, classmates. Uh, I think parents. 100% of this podcast also thinks that these children yes. should be allowed to yes. stay. I don't think that's controversial opinion at all. Yeah. The children's ombudsman, Marguerite Kalfabor, um, said it's basically a violation of their, you know, their rights as children. Yeah. Princess Laurentine went on the radio during the week and said a creative solution should be found. Even shop blog Kane Style, who are not usually fans of refugees in any way, shape, or form, have said just let the children stay. Um, but barring a last-minute change of heart from Mark Harbors, uh, they will be deported tomorrow if they can be found, because they've now gone into hiding. Um, but so far, the Dutch authorities also haven't been able to find a suitable school in uh, Yerevan for them, because the children can't be educated in Armenian, they don't speak the language, and the English-speaking schools are too expensive. And it's also unclear where the children will actually live if their mother is indeed unable to look after them. So why was the mother deported? I mean, how did they end up here in the first place? Maybe it's a better question. They moved from well, uh, they moved from Russia, and I think she applied for asylum uh, as a refugee. And the courts basically decided that um, they shouldn't have applied as Russian nationals, but as Armenian nationals. That was one of the uh, issues. But she, she's been applying for asylum for ten years. Her asylum application was turned away, and when she was deported last year, she basically just ran through the whole procedure until she exhausted it. Yeah. Um, at that point, then, yeah, there was the issue of whether the children should be allowed to stay or whether they had to. 
uh, be with her. And the courts decided they should be with her, even though she's herself said, and other people around her have said, uh, she isn't up to the job of looking after them. Yeah, Is, isn't part of the problem here that apparently, um, or it's possible to, uh, you know, fight this procedure for 10 years? Um, yeah. And part of that, uh, because of that, uh, these children lived there for, 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 the, for the largest part of their lives, and yeah. they become uh, um, basically Dutch. In, in all sorts of ways, I've heard them speaking. They have no accent whatsoever. They are, mm. they are, they look like and they talk like Dutch children. But um, if we have, um, if we somehow make sure that the asylum procedure is six months, can take six months at max, then we don't get this problem. That would be theoretically fine, but in practice, it doesn't happen, and the rules keep changing. And you know, the, the minister has a discretionary authority to, uh, to allow them to stay and give them a permit. But I think what's happened here, this is a part, um, kind of continuation of the, the whole saga that went on with the kinder pardon, you know, the, the children's, um, children's amnesty for uh, asylum seeker children a couple of years ago that was um, uh, agreed between the last two parties in the last government, the Fefe Day and the Labour Party. They basically decided to allow a whole batch of children to stay, but the, the payoff for that, for the Fefe Day, was that after that the rules were going to be applied absolutely to the letter and there would be no more discretionary um, yeah. decisions like this. And, this. and this is the result. We have a ridiculous situation where children, as you, who, as you say, have grown up in the Netherlands, know no other country, don't speak the language of the country they're now being told to go and live in. Um, and then you know, who gains from saying that these children have to go and live somewhere else where yep. they could be perfectly productive, fully integrated citizens in the Netherlands? What I thought was really interesting about that is I think it was the NRC. I'm not sure who did this long article this week about other children who had high profile deportation cases and like what they're up to. And they're all like extremely successful members of society now. And there was like <laughs> someone who was a lawyer and someone who was a doctor and they like kind of went through all of this stuff. And it was just kind of like an interesting juxtaposition where they're sort of, you know, it seems like what the sort of piece was implying is, is that these kids have a really good chance to like be really productive, like useful members of society. Yeah. And instead we're going to send them back to a place where they, you know, will not be able to get an education and, you know, are not going to probably be able to integrate very well. Yeah, and I think this is a point where, you know, I think that's why there's been such an uniform response to this, because everyone can see that, you know, that, that there's nothing to stop these children, you know, that these children are not going to be a burden on society if yeah. they stay here, and there's, and there's nothing to be gained from sending them back, so right. it's an absurd decision. A stabbing incident in Amsterdam is being investigated as terrorism, though there's no link to any known terrorist group. The perpetrator, identified as Yavid S., stabbed two American tourists that he picked at random in the central train station in Amsterdam on Friday of last week. Both victims are expected to survive. The attacker was shot by police and is still in the hospital. According to his lawyer, he's an Afghan national with a German residency permit, and he didn't expect to survive the attack. Yes, and uh, he uh, might have been um, one, of, one of the reasons to, uh, to, to, to do this act of terrorism was because Geert Wilders was organizing a uh, cartoon contest of the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah. He was apparently traveling through Europe and he heard about it and then he uh, came, to, uh, came to the Netherlands to, uh, to do something uh, about that. Um, he didn't know that the day before that uh, Geert Wilders had canceled uh, this contest. Um, and also uh, the uh, the um, also the American um, uh, uh, ambassador in the Netherlands thanked uh, the first responders who 
um, uh, responded within nine seconds, uh, if yeah. I believe. They responded mm -hmm. really fast. That, uh, was, that is partly because uh, the police has people walking around at key areas, such as Amsterdam Central Station, who spot people that are acting differently and uh, mm -hmm. acting in a suspicious way. Yeah, so there's, yeah, there's a lot of talk as well, wasn't there, about the, the photograph that uh, people saw. After yeah, people just kind of standing in the background yeah. drinking coffee as yes. if nothing was going mm -hmm. on, because yeah. they did respond so quickly. But I think kind of... It was kind of encouraging that um, there wasn't a big kind of uh, hysterical response to this because people recognise that, you know, for all that is, you know, the, the, the guy had a, um, a terrorist motive. It's it's a guy, one guy with a knife. This yeah. is not part of a, you know, intricate, uh, well thought through terrorist plot. Yeah, it's, yes. it's a guy who's you know who's got wound up by the fact that Kilbilders has decided to hold this cartoon competition and um, yeah, he's, he and he travelled to Amsterdam and basically just wanted to stab the first people he saw. You yeah. Know, so in that sense, it was you know. A fairly and honestly, like the world with. could use two less American tourists. I'll be <laughs> wow. I'm glad you said that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> now we don't have to. And uh, the t these two people, they are expected to survive. Yeah. Uh, their yeah. injuries are not that That's serious. serious. Um, but still, we wish them, of course, uh, uh, well. Yes. Yes. Molly, can you specifically say that? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's fine. I guess the public prosecutor has reached a 775 million euro settlement with ING Bank for failing to properly monitor money transfers for potential money laundering. The amount consists of a 675 million euros fine and a 100 million reimbursement. According to the prosecutor, the bank's clients were effectively able to launder hundreds of millions of euros between 2010 and 2016, because ING failed to fulfill its role as a gatekeeper of the financial system. In the Netherlands, banks are obliged by law to report suspicious money transactions. The criminal investigation revealed that ING NL was seriously deficient in this respect, and as a result, clients were able to use accounts held with ING NL for criminal activities for many years, virtually undisturbed, the public prosecutor said. I know, it was very upsetting when I had to stop doing my criminal activities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are there cases known where the clients laundered money? Yes, one of the most notorious cases was the one of telecoms firm Vimpelcom. I have never heard of it, but apparently it was a very notorious case. Uh, and they paid millions of euros in bribes to the daughter of the Uzbekistan president via the bank. And another one involved a women's underwear trader. They were able to launder approximately 150 million uh, euros uh, through the bank. I didn't realize there was a black market in women's underwear. <laughs> Me so, neither. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever had to, have you ever had to go shopping for women's underwear? If you knew what that process was like, <laughs> yeah. you would know why there was a black market. Yeah, and the, the, the prosecutor said that uh, it should have been clear to the bank that uh, this kind of money uh, amounts uh, had nothing to do with the uh, lingerie trade. So did nobody see this coming? Well, in fact, the bank was warned several times by the Dutch Central Bank, uh, which regulates the financial market. Um, they warned them that the bank was not doing its job properly, but uh, ING failed to implement enough improvements. Um, the bank has said in a statement, it acknowledges the serious shortcomings and sincerely regrets that these enabled customers to misuse bank accounts, which basically means... Uh, we don't care. That sounds like the most insincere expression <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've ever heard. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I've heard better apologies from Donald Trump. <laughs> and, uh, and, and other banks have been implicated in this kind of thing as well. I mean, Rabobank famously uh, were involved in all, got up to all kinds of money laundering yeah, the, in the, the States. The, the Libor interest rate scandal, they manipulated that uh, in favor of their um, yeah, yeah. incomes. And there was SNS Real as well, of course, uh, um, their, their they, entire... 
uh, mortgage lending business was uh, you know, was a scheme. from top to bottom, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, yeah, a lot of uh, Dutch banks have come and become a problem. Yeah, yeah. And now I realize that. Yeah. yeah, but but no bankers are, go- are going to jail. With uh, no, of course not. No. They never do. Yeah. No. Uh, they are going to uh, to uh, to cut some uh, bonuses. Oh, oh well, they said. Yeah, that'll but next it. year they will double it, so yeah, it exactly. will be fine. Yeah. In the first big set piece debate in Parliament on Wednesday, Foreign Affairs Minister Steph Block survived a no confidence motion brought by the Denk Party. The debate focused on Block's comments about multiculturalism at a meeting of Dutch expats in July. When a video of the speech was passed to current affairs show Zembla, it sparked an uproar. Block claimed, among other things, that there was no country in the world where immigrants lived in harmony with the native population, that people were genetically predisposed to distrust members of other tribes, migrants in Eastern European cities were afraid to walk the streets, and Suriname was a failed state. His comments were strongly criticised by parties on the left, but he also upset right-wing groups when he subsequently apologised and called his words unfortunate and careless. Geert Wilders, leader of the PVFA, said in Wednesday's debate that Block had been, quote, politically castrated, Quote by coalition party Nevertheless, a no caution, nevertheless, a no confidence motion was easily defeated by 105 votes to 45, which means we won't be getting a third foreign minister this year. Sadly, Sadly. Yeah, I was looking forward to a third foreign minister. <laughs> yes, yeah. I was looking forward to. Gordon, did you? But it, but it wasn't one person. One complication also was the guy who's lined up as a possible replacement for Steph Block also <laughs> wasn't in the running because he'd just been sacked for having or had to stand down for having an inappropriate relationship with a. Uh, with a colleague. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this all happens in a week. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the baby day Just a regular week in the baby day. Gordon, what responsibility do you take for these <laughs> comments, given the fact that when Steph Block was appointed to Foreign Affairs Minister, you declared him the most boring man in Dutch politics, who and had never done anything <laughs> to upset the apple cart? And he was, and it was a weird thing. He was absolutely Mr. Reliable. He was Mr. Fix-It. He was a guy who would send in to clean up any ministry where there'd been problems in the past, like the Justice Ministry. Yeah. He was seen as a sort of multifunctional kind of automaton who could just sort out any problems. And although he was known as a right-winger, he wasn't really an ideologue. He was a very pragmatic politician. So it was a real shock that these um, comments uh, suddenly emerged from his mouth. It was almost as if suddenly in July, um, Steph Block became self-aware for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the, 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 the specific reason why they chose Steph Block to become the foreign minister was because he makes no trouble. Yeah. Yeah. He does the he's job so without boring. any... He's so boring. I mean, he was he was once the party leader of the Favourite Day. Nobody remembers that because <laughs> he hasn't said anything, basically. Yeah. And and now, all of a sudden, he, he yeah. says this. And as a foreign officer, you have one job, and that is not to offend other countries. Right. <laughs> and what does he do? Offended. He doesn't offend one country... <laughs> which we don't have a diplomatic relation uh, anymore uh, because their president uh, uh, is supposed to serve jail time here in the Netherlands, but that's a different story. But he also offended Belgium. <laughs> and how you manage that, I don't know. <laughs> it's, 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 what did he say about Belgium? Basically the same thing. He yeah. said their multicultural um, uh, society doesn't work. And the fun thing is, he said this in this video. This video was leaked or um, it was sent to, to, um, to some news, Zembla news organization. Um, and there was Ophef about it in the Netherlands. And a month later, there was uh, Ophef again because it just, you know, it just continued through it, the summer. Mm-hmm. And then the Belgian news organization actually watched the video, saw that he also mentioned Belgium. And and then uh, there was Opeth in Belgium about oh. that. Belgium. It's kind of serial Opeth. Uh, yes, yes. It's yes. a kind of chain reaction to Steph Block. 
Yes. So, but it basically, for for me, it means that he is not capable of doing his job. No, so basically, I think he should he he should have left. He's yeah. kind of a wounded animal now, isn't he? Yeah. As, he as cannot, soon he, as he, he's gonna be watched the whole time, you know, for, for any and, and, and as soon as he visits any of these countries that he's offended, and there are plenty of them. You know, there, there are going to be well, it's yeah. going to be difficult. How on earth is he going to go yeah. on vacation next summer to France because he can't <laughs> go through Belgium? <laughs> Primary and secondary students returned to school two weeks ago while university students started back this week. Despite parents and the local Delft economy being happy, the new school year was not without its controversies. Fewer parents took their children to school by bike this year. Nearly three in ten students arrive at school by car despite a campaign to encourage cycling. Experts are concerned about the health and safety implications of increased car usage, which, considering there's a report out today by RTL News that there have been 10,000 accidents, traffic accidents near or next to Dutch schools in the past three years in which 44 people have died, they may have a good point. But there may be a few days when parents don't have to worry about school transportation since the trade union of primary school teachers is calling for a strike alongside other public sector workers. Teachers, nurses, and doctors are upset that the government is spending money to scrap the dividend tax, but not allocating more resources for salaries and reduced workloads. In higher education, Education Minister Ingrid von Engelshove is to introduce a limit to the amount of points universities and colleges can demand first-year students to earn in order to proceed to the second year of their courses. She argues that universities are using the point system to weed out students since many courses are overcrowded. Both the universities of Delft and Eindhoven have complained about overcrowded classrooms and overworked teachers. Eindhoven is planning to cap eight degree programs, while Delft is threatening to reduce the number of programs entirely. And there's been protests this week at uh, Groningen University as well about um, you know, the, the, the position of international students. A lot of international students uh, came to Groningen, but they couldn't find any housing for them. So the university arranged oh. a giant tent for them yeah. somewhere in the city to sleep. But uh, initially they were planning on asking the students uh, to, to pay 12 euros and 50 cents per night yeah. to sleep there. So that was another upheaval uh, during okay. the summer. The university later uh, decided to, to scrap this payment and to, to allow these international students to sleep there for free until they find uh, some proper housing. Yeah, there's something like a 700 bed shortage in Groningen for international students. Yeah. And the university doesn't guarantee housing. So in Delft, right, if an international student comes here, they're guaranteed housing for the first year. So they at least have a place to sleep for the first year. But in Groningen, that's not the case. So these students come and they literally have nowhere to live and they cannot find a place to live. Yeah, because the students actually occupied a uh, building at university last yeah. night um, to, to protest against... Uh, yeah, what they said was the exploitation, basically, of international students. Yeah, well, it's they'll, you know, the University of Groningen is happy to take their tuition dollars, which are higher than what you get for a Dutch student, but not willing to, like, put in any sort of effort to, to make accommodations for them. I mean, I think it's really a disgrace. In sports news, the Dutch women's football team missed a chance to qualify for next year's World Cup as they lost their final qualifying match in Norway. The Lionesses hadn't conceded a single goal in their previous nine matches, but they went two behind in the first six minutes as Ingrid Seerstad Engen and Isabel Herlofsen scored for the Norwegians. Viviana Miedemar pulled the goal back after half an hour and the Dutch had chances in the second half to equalise, but Norway held on. The Netherlands can still qualify through the playoffs, but only one out of four teams will go through, so they'll have to overcome the combined might of Switzerland, Denmark and Belgium. Oh no, not Belgium. <laughs> Always comes down to the Belgians, yes. isn't it? Yeah. And uh, which teams have gone through? Well, 15 countries have qualified so far for the tournament in France, so the French are, uh, will be playing, obviously. Oh, not the French. Yeah. Uh, other countries who qualified are Brazil, Germany, Spain, China, Japan, England, and for the first time ever, Scotland. Wow, yeah. wow. This is, a, this is a surprising turn of events. So, Gordon, how are the men doing? 
Well, uh, you know, the... the, the uh, Terrible, d- as men are at everything? <laughs> the Dutchmen um, actually managed to... Uh, over slightly better recently. Um, last night, it was Wesley Snyder's send-off. It was the, final, it was the last game of his 134-match career in Orania. Um, the Netherlands had to come from behind to beat Peru 2-1, two goals from Memphis to pay. Um, Snyder's career spanned 15 years in uh, two World Cup finals tournaments. Uh, he was taken off after an hour. Uh, so we could get a, a, a nice standing ovation from the crowd. And then after the game, they set up a mock-up of his living room on the pitch with like sort of sofas. And it was really <laughs> cute. The photo was really And funny. the plants. And his family all came and sat and with him. And a cactus. And then he watched yeah. television. And he, what he, uh, they what even they had cast angles. They had cast They had cast angles, yes, Impressive. absolutely. Un- unmissable. And, they, uh, and, they, um, and then he watched um, a television sort of recording of uh, messages from his uh, uh, former teammates. It was a lovely touch. He uh, didn't have to uh, watch all 134 games he played. I don't think he watched the whole thing. No, uh, I think uh, they, uh, they, they, they could scale it down a bit. That's mm. nice. Yeah. Only the highlights. Yeah. Um, there'll also be two Dutch clubs in the Champions League this year. That's the first oh. time that's happened in eight years. Uh, Ajax got through three qualifying rounds and they'll now play in a group with Bayern Munich, Benfica and AEK Athens. Um, PSV have got a really tough draw. They're up against Barcelona, Internazionale and Tottenham Hotspur. Well, good luck to them. Indeed, they'll need it. <laughs> Gordon isn't the only one who published a book this week. A new annotated Dutch version of Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf was published on Wednesday. In the book, Hitler outlined his political views and described the desirability of world domination by the Aryan race. The new version will provide an historical context and unmask its numerous myths and lies, according to the publisher. The book will cost 50 euros and has 856 pages with extended footnotes and every chapter starts with an historical introduction by acclaimed historians. Bookstores has said they will not prominently display the book, but will have it in stock. On stock. In stock. In stock. stock. Okay. It has been illegal to sell copies of Mein Kampf in the Netherlands since the 1980s. So what changed that they can sell it now? In 2017, the Supreme Court cleared an antiquarian bookseller in Amsterdam who put copies on sale of Disseminating Hatred. Um, it was that verdict that paved the way uh, for the publisher Prometheus to uh, publish the annotated version similar to the Institute of Contemporary History in Munich. Uh, they published an annotated version of Hitler's book in Germany last year uh, to great critical and public acclaim. Um, the critical edition became a bestseller and sold Eighty-five uh, copies. Yeah, and the original Mein Kampf just uh, was a bestseller at the time, isn't it? The 1930s in the yes. Netherlands when it was first published. Yeah, yeah, um, and in Germany too. And in Germany, too, yes, everywhere in fact. Uh, probably in the UK as well. But um, yeah, but there was some criticism that this edition wasn't um, academic enough or didn't have enough footnotes. So I think there's some. There's in 856 pages, <laughs> it has enough footnotes. I've yes. never read you it. Think so. That's enough footnotes. Yeah, yeah but the uh, German edition, I think, is about it has even more footnotes. I think it has more footnotes than actual text. But they have more to explain. <laughs> well, have you not seen German nouns? They're extremely long. Yes, you need, it their takes words up a lot are ridiculously. Wor- yeah, that's true. We'll be bringing you up to speed with what's been going on over the summer after this word from our sponsors. GMW Lawyers is an innovative law firm located in The Hague, with clients based both in the Netherlands and abroad. They are known for their dedicated, committed and no-nonsense approach and will work to achieve the best result for you. GMW specialises in family, employment, corporate, liability and property law. They also support the Legal Expat Desk, a legal resource for internationals. You can find them online at gmw.nl and the Legal Expat Desk at legalexpatdesk.nl. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to get in touch. You won't be charged for initial legal advice. You can reach them by email at info at gmw.nl. So, Molly, 
Paul, what were your personal highlights of the summer? Where, where have you been, first of all? Have you the been Hornbach, about 1,200 times. <laughs> 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 You've been plowing a furrow up and down for the DIY store. I installed a kitchen into my house, and I mm. redid floors and retiled the bathrooms yeah. and all these sorts of you things. Spent, I think you spent most of the time blogging about it, though, actually. I did do a lot of blogging yeah. about it. Actually, yeah. if, if anyone is interested in following the home renovation stories, you can read all about it on my blog. I think it was an excellent coping mechanism for you. It I was. It, the coping mechanism part came in because my family in the U.S., which calling me like every goddamn day to find out what was going ah, on and, and I this way you could avoid them exactly uh, calling you yeah, yeah. great yeah. what about you paul well, well I, you did the summer's work right yeah i only worked yeah, yeah. you went to I, belgium a lot i went to belgium a lot yeah. i went to germany once mm -hmm. and uh, to uh, flevoland which is another part of the world yeah. uh, mm -hmm. but uh, i didn't mind at all because i was driving a car which was uh, air conditioned and uh, if i looked uh, to the temperature uh, outside it was uh, 35 plus and inside my car it was 17 degrees yeah. Yeah. so I didn't mind at all uh, working so um, yeah I had an excellent summer okay, yeah and what about you Gordon yeah well I went to Scotland where it was wasn't as hot as it uh, is here it was did you have any of these before. tasty crackers while you were there yeah I, I, I ate a lot of shortbread in Scotland yeah <laughs> so, um, before I went to Scotland I went to a Drenthe uh, for a few days uh, and oh, there, 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 there you go bo boiling hot Drenthe which was really was hell on earth but just like Scotland. yeah but just like Scotland <laughs> Scotland, uh, Scotland, Trenta usually doesn't have any nice weather at all. No, but um, this was very much the exception. I was staying on a chalet on a campsite with all my children, and it was just like a sort of miniature oven, basically. Yeah, the, the Hunebedder melted. They almost did, yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They've also, the other big news in Trenta this summer is they banned people from uh, climbing on the Hunebedder, which is the only fun you could have in Trenta before. Oh, then. yeah. So, yeah. But did you did you uh, drive uh, over the Hunebed Highway? I did drive up and down the Hunebed Highway, yeah. Mainly just because it happens to be the way to get to my in-laws' house for <laughs> any special reason. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But anyway, it was, yeah, as we say, it was really hot. I mean, it was what else were stats hot. have we got from, from the summer? There was two heat waves, right? Because yeah. they like, you know, they had this magical measurement at DeBilt about how you measure yes, heat waves. There was a one day gap in between. There was yeah. a day when um, it was hot everywhere except in DeBilt. Yeah. In DeBilt, there were a couple of showers in mid afternoon, and that meant the temperature. <laughs> didn't get over 25 degrees, which is the threshold for a heat wave. Yeah, and so therefore they declared heat wave over. And then they... <laughs> <laughs> which is a very Dutch yeah, way to deal with things. It was also the longest period ever recorded that uh, temperature uh, was over 25 degrees. Yeah, and it was the longest, like, drought. There was officially yeah. a drought. It was like the longest in a lot of years. Of yeah, I think July had the, had the lowest rainfall for that month uh, ever. Yeah. It, was, it was almost no rain at all in July. And you could just drive around and everywhere was brown. Yeah. Is that the reason that the Elfstedetalk swimmer was supposed to abandon his pursuit? No, I think he was just exhausted. Yeah. Um, because of the heat wave? Because of the heat wave and because he was swimming 200 kilometers. I think he drank some of the water in the canal. Well, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The poop bacteria yeah. water. Yeah. Yeah. The Elfstedetalk swimmer, uh, it's a long distance swimmer, Maarten van der Weide, also an Olympic uh, medalist, yes, I, I believe. Yes. Um, he tried to swim the entire Elfstedetalk route, that's uh, 200 kilometers around Friesland, to raise money for cancer research abandoned on the medical advice after 55 hours, at which point he'd reached the uh, 163 point and was heading to Dokkum, the 11th town. He uh, did manage to raise uh, 2.5 million euros and despite not finishing the course and not skating, he got a medal from Prime Minister Mark Rutte. Yeah. Have you seen his swollen feet? Yes, it, yeah. I saw that photo. It was, yeah. not, it was not okay. It was, it was not okay oh, at yeah. all. 
So, Gordon, what else happened this summer? Well, the big kind of news, running news stories over the summer was uh, was a hunt for um, a guy called uh, Jos Brech. This is a crazy who, story. Yeah, this is all to do with the uh, with the murder of a teenage boy called Nicky Verstappen in 1998, yeah. uh, which is an unsolved murder case. Uh, Nicky Verstappen was snatched from his tent during a summer camp and killed. Um, and there was a breakthrough this summer when the police tra- uh, matched the DNA on the boy's body to this guy, Jos Brech. But in the meantime, uh, Brech had fled. Uh, and they didn't know where he was, and uh, what they did know is he had survivalist skills. He knew how to live out in the open, eating bugs and making open fires. But eventually he was tracked down to Spain, uh, where he was arrested while chopping wood in a remote area I near heard Barcelona. Somebody, somebody saw the police, like, out, I don't know, like, message or whatever. Yeah, they circulated his photograph, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, and saw him, like, getting water at a well, which in, like, some remote mountainous area of Spain, which just seems like the most unlikely of coincidences that yeah. somebody would... Yeah be near him who had also seen this police report in you know remote spain yeah, yeah. yes but the the way the the police uh, found him or matched the dna was because they called thousands of people living in the area to come to the police and give yeah. the dna and uh, the police would uh, try and, and find a, a match um he didn't actually uh, go to the police but no. he was matched anyway because relatives, relatives of yeah. him um uh, went but because he had these survival skills he um, basically fled before they could find him or mm. they could uh, yeah. identify him. And he is also a very respected person. He was a very respected person in the survival uh, world. Uh, there are a lot of people who, who do that and they were actively searching for him for months now and they were doing all sorts of things to try to find him and to uh, raise money for, for private investigators. Mm. So that's, uh, that's also a very sad side of the story, all, all of these people that, uh, that, that tried to, uh, to, to find him because they thought he was a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. and uh, he's now due to arrive in the Netherlands this week uh, on Friday. Um, he's, he was uh, put through the fast track extradition procedure and he's expected to appear in court in uh, two weeks. Yeah, so we will update everyone on how that happens. Yeah. And uh, stickball sports stuff. Uh, yes, some sports stuff has happened. Uh, people pedaling bikes mainly. Uh, Tom Dumoulin finished second in the Tour de France. He lost to a guy with asthma, right? Uh, that was in Italy, that was in the uh, Giro uh, d'Italia, okay. the Tour of Italy. Yeah, and then they thought Chris Froome, the the, the guy famously uh, who uses his inhaler every uh, every two minutes while going up a mountain, uh, not for any suspicious reasons at all, purely because of his asthma. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Chris Froome was expected to was a favourite to win the Tour de France, but actually it was his teammate um, Geraint Thomas uh, who managed to ca- uh, carve out a two minute lead during the three-week three, three race. Uh, Dumoulin therefore finished second, but there's uh, some uh, suggestion he might not uh, ride the Giro next year so he can concentrate on winning the Tour. And there was a fifth place for another Dutchman, Stefan Krauswijk, so a good Tour de France for the Dutch uh, cyclists. Yeah, a number of, uh, of, of wins, of, uh, of races. Some stage wins uh, stage as well. Stage win- yeah, wins indeed. by, by Dutch, uh, Dutch guys, yeah. So yeah. successful uh, cycling season. Yeah, and there was, other, there was more success in the European multi-sport uh, championships, which were held in Berlin and Glasgow, where Dutch athletes won 15 gold medals, 43 medals altogether, so they finished fourth in the medals table, more gold medals in Germany and more medals in France. Uh, even though there was an event where there was no speed skating. Must have been all those delicious crackers they were eating while they were <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it seems fun. impossible to uh, to win so many medals uh, for the Dutch team uh, without skating. Yeah, uh, the women were especially um, successful. They, they won seven of the eight medals in athletics. <laughs> even though some of the big stars, like Daphne Skippers and Renomi Komaru-Diorio, uh, didn't win gold medals, uh, nevertheless, it was a good team performance all around. So, well done to them. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Paul, yeah. this is going to be the listener's favourite segment. What were the big opas of the summer? What did everybody miss? 
Well, first of all, in Amsterdam, on the Prinsengracht, a bakery opened its doors. It was uh, a few blocks away from the Anne Frank house, and uh, this bakery decided to name their bakery Anne and Frank. The owners' names <laughs> are Anne and Frank, right? Is that the yeah, case? Yeah, yeah. So are they really? That, that's, that's, that's what I read. Uh, okay, okay. Sorry, I didn't know that. Okay, then that name does make sense in a way. But still. But still, but people still. thought it was uh, inappropriate. very inappropriate. Which it is. Uh, especially because it's basically next door to the Anne Frank house. Yeah. So there was Ophef about that and they later decided to, uh, to, to change, change uh, the name uh, of their bakery into something else. But at least it, uh, they gained a lot of uh, free publicity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and also, um, uh, singer Rihanna tweeted uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte. She uh, asked for 100 million uh, euros and... Uh, Just for her own personal use? Yes, yeah. and uh, he, they gave it to her. Of course. Yeah. Okay. No, she asked that for an education uh, project. Uh, yeah, it's, it's money for global education, right? Yeah. Like, uh, mm -hmm. uh, no, she asked money for um, a, a project uh, for global uh, education, to improve global education. But in the... Tweet exchange, it looked like Rihanna asked that out of the blue, and yeah. the minister said, oh, That's fine, let's yeah. do that. Yeah. So, a lot of people who cannot really think very well <laughs> assume like that that is how you are, yeah. um, how, you, how you can get this kind of money. Uh, so, from so, so the did, government. They, did they then just send their own tweets to Mark Rutte saying, Can I have 200 euros to pay my gas bill? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's literally what <laughs> happened. And also, uh, according to the uh, Council of State, Pastafarianism is not a religion. This is a just disgraceful decision in my yeah, judgment. In, yes. I agree. Yeah. I agree too. Yeah. If, they, the, the, if these the, crazy people want to wear their stupid calendars yeah. on their heads for their driver's yeah. license photos, they should be allowed. Yeah, the, the church of the flying spaghetti monster should not be discriminated against. Just, yeah. I agree. Yeah, exactly. He will not bless you with his noodly appendage. <laughs> yes, and uh, the, the op-ed was, of course, about do we want uh, the government or... Uh, a court uh, to decide which is a religion and which is not. But again, uh, if you don't do that, then you can have all sorts of other religions like Scientology, for example, to become an officially recognized yeah. uh, religion. So there is a... I kind of want to lead my own religion, so I feel like I'm sort of annoyed It doesn't surprise me to hear yeah. you say that, Molly, at yeah. all. I'm say, a big fan yeah. of but, but that is kind of what courts are there for, isn't it? To decide what the law means. I mean, am I missing something here? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Um, this is my second favorite op of the summer. This one? We all know yeah. what my first one is. Yes, we yes, know what that is. We, we really all have. It. Yeah. It's also Gordon's. Uh, it's Gordon's. It's, 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 it's the podcast. It's the Dutch yes, News endorsed yes, op yes, yeah. yes, yes. We so, democratically decided we that that is uh, our so, op So what is the this op this is the uh, which isn't our, and this is the runner-up, um, was uh, an Amsterdam vegan food festival. Um, a guy, a, a douchebag, let's be honest about this, <laughs> decided to eat at the entrance of this food festival a giant piece of raw meat in front of all the uh, attendants of this uh, vegan food festival just to be a jerk just a to be jerk. a troll basically yeah, yeah just yeah. to but be I a don't, troll like, it, i mean yeah it's like eating raw meat to own the libs like what are you doing this yeah. is disgusting like <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's disgusting yeah. And exactly. you're damaging your own health to make a point to people who really couldn't care yeah but yeah. what is his yeah. point he wants yeah. to make them angry yeah, yeah, yeah i think really. that's that's basically that yes yeah. he wanted to annoy as far people. as he thought yeah. he hasn't really thought this through no and then the most serious op of the summer the most serious op of the summer on august 1st and the first paper note were spotted in the shops this happens every year. Yeah. Every year there is Ophef about paper note being in the shops at August 1st because it's always the same date. Yeah. People think that it you know, comes uh, earlier, earlier and earlier. earlier. That's not the case. Yeah. I read something actually where the shop 
the owners, this grocery store, were saying that like, yeah, we, we ordered these because they keep really well in the heat, unlike a lot of other like baked snack, like mm -hmm. pastries that like will melt, you know, in this heat. So paper note to make for a great summer snack. Hmm. Oh, yeah. okay, great. That's All right, is this our tafa? And then we, we, top so now we come uh, reluctantly to the top of half of yeah, the, the summer. The top yes. half. Yeah, the top, top half. half. Yes. Um, Thierry Baudet, our favorite politician, um, shared one of his holiday photos yes. on yes. Instagram. And Molly, can you describe this photo? There are no words in any language in the world that can properly do justice to the quality But of let's this try photo. anyway. Uh, Terry Baudet appears to be laying on the edge of an infinity pool, I think, um, wearing no clothing at all, and uh, is using his hand as a modesty patch, and is sort of like lounging there. Has the he got sun. some Donald Trump-sized hands uh, there? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump-sized something else, I don't know. Yeah, and you uh, know what the caption was? I don't remember. Refresh and reload. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a very disgusting caption. Yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, OPEF, um, yeah. the OPEF of the of the month, yes. OPEF of the summer. It was, um, of the it summer. was also announced uh, earlier this week that Thierry Boudet is engaged with uh -huh. a uh, twenty-two-year-old uh, woman, and a lot of people looked her up on Instagram and they found a photo of this exact infinity pool but from a different angle mm -hmm. so it is um, uh, speculated that she uh, took is this photo. Yeah. Also Thierry Boudet when asked when the wedding was planned he said am I supposed to marry uh, someone after I get engaged so he didn't really grasp the concept, because of being engaged. concept of being no. engaged. Uh, How old is Thierry Boudet? I think he's 30, 37 he's or something. He's late 30s, yeah. He's yeah. over 35. That's, that's inappropriate to be engaged <laughs> to a 22-year-old, I yeah. think. The intriguing thing about this picture for me is the fact that his head is turned away from the camera, so you can't actually see his face. Imagine imagine how dis how disturbing this photo would be if we could see his face now. But no, well, <laughs> how do you know it is his face? Oh. Know, this is my theory about oh, this. Oh, you, you think it's, you think not, it's him. not him? You think it's not him? You think he had a body I think double? It's, I, I want to see, uh, I, I see the, the picture. Where is it Steph Block? Is it, Steph <laughs> it could easily be Steph Block. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Did anybody else have any good uh, good summer ophef? Yes, my uh, favorite ophef involved uh, the 50 plus party. The, of course, as it of always does. Cole, mm. And they uh, announced that uh, they sacked their own um, scientific agency they didn't want to uh, cooperate with them anymore because they were too scientific <laughs> I don't know uh, no they, they published all <laughs> sorts of reports that they uh, didn't agree with yeah. Yeah. so yeah that's um, that'll happen with yeah. science yeah, yeah. That'll happen no, with that's all Hank Crawl and his numbers uh, again. yeah exactly the other favorite op if we haven't mentioned while it's kind of tangentially related to a story we had uh, was about uh, Hunton Brooker, the Feifei Day backbencher, mm -hmm. um, who it emerged over the summer that several years ago he'd um, uh, been caught in flagrante with his partner in the Trader Karma, actually on the chair of. <laughs> You've not seen, known about the story. How did I miss this? In the yeah. chair of the chairman of yeah, in, in the chairman's chair. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, come on, anybody, all of us would do that if given the opportunity. Absolutely, I, so no, I would in a second. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 but he was a sitting MP at the time, which is yeah. slightly complicated. So he was then kind of demoted within the party. But no, but no one said gave the reason why at that stage. Yeah. It's only become apparent uh, That's great. When, the, when the latest scandal emerged about him having an inappropriate relationship with a researcher. Yeah. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can now send comments, compliments and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, you can subscribe to our feed, give the podcast a rating and share it. My thanks to my co-hosts, Molly and Paul will be back next week. I'm Gordon Derrick. Thanks for listening.